This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to The WOMED, where we bring on literally the coolest guests in medicine. Like I, Danielle. The coolest. I, I need a second. Take I a second. Need a Take second. a breath. Well, you guys, we have had some pretty phenomenal guests on to wrap up this season six of the WOMED. We had Stephanie Bagzon, who was a 30 under 30 listed by freaking Forbes. Mm-hmm. And now today we have Lexon, who we'll talk about in this episode, was invited by the, the White House to the State of the Union to represent nurses and specifically nurses with a voice for social justice, health equity, LGBTQ plus rights, and trans youth. I'm still floored. I mean, like these, <laughs> these two guests, y'all. Let's, I, 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 I want to talk to her all day. All day. Oh, we could have. This could have been a three-part, three-part episode with Lex. <laughs> when you talk about multifaceted individuals and nurses being completely outside the box of what you think being just a nurse is, Lex blows that all sky high. Lex started with sharing incredible landscape photography and photography traveling with her freaking adorable cat tuna on Instagram. She now has loyal half a million followers on TikTok. She's a travel nurse still working at the bedside. She is a summer camp counselor to help advocate and promote for trans and LGBTQ plus youth. She is an ally. She is an advocate. She is a voice. She is our new BFF. You guys are going to love this episode, and we will catch you on the other side. That's one of my favorite things about your account is tuna. Okay, we're going to start there. How did you how did you train your cat to be on a leash and like love doing all these adventurous things with you? I honestly don't really feel like I deserve all that much credit. Um, (laughs) I didn't. I didn't really give her the option not to. <laughs> I was like, I would not... have to sedate her <laughs> to put her on a boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, like I didn't really give her the option not to. I'd never had a cat before and um, wasn't planning on getting a cat. But then I went to the Humane Society. I was just like mid-nursing school and depressed as hell. Yeah, that's why I got right. (laughs) So I would lie. I would go to the Humane. I'd done it a couple of times, but I would go to the Humane Society. And and I was like, yeah, I'm totally looking to adopt. And, um, you know, they have these big rooms filled with cats. And then they had this other separate room that was just like, towers of crates and they had cats in them and I was confused I was like are those cats sick why are they separated and they were like no um those are the ferals we just got in we don't really adopt them out and I asked you know okay well what if they're kittens and they said oh if they're younger than five months we adopt them out but if they're older than five months they don't bond well with humans and Mm. I was like, okay, well, can I just go in there and look? And they said, sure. And I go in there and Tuna's listed approximate age was five months and three days. 
Wow. And so they were going to euthanize her. And then the <gasps> second I found that out, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> now I have to. <laughs> so, and I'm like super allergic to cats. So I called my mom and I was like, um, and I told her and she was just like flabbergasted, you know, we're allergic to cats. What are, what are you doing? So I always said, if I get a second cat, I was going to get a sphinx. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, first cat, didn't ever have one before and had no idea what I was doing. And she she was feral. So she'd lived her whole life outside Mm -hmm. and she did not like being indoors. And so I just started bringing her in the car with me and just bringing her everywhere with me. And that kind of led into me leash training her just so that she was safe when she was going places with me. And then... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went to Arches. That was her first national trip or national park trip. And what's so funny is that this one photo of her blew up, went super viral, um, which I guess maybe not super viral, but at the time it felt super viral Yeah, uh, of her at the double arch. And at the time, Arches had a rule that was just no dogs. And I saw two weeks after I posted that photo, they changed the rule to no pets. <laughs> so I don't know if that was us, but if it was, I'm sorry. Like just changing all sorts of laws from from <laughs> laws national parks are meant to be broken. Okay. <laughs> This is why we love you. And I must say, I feel honored that Raisin and Tuna are making appearances on the WOMED. And I know you're saying that you don't get a lot of credit, but we're going to give you some credit because you have almost half a million followers on TikTok now. Can we talk about how that happened? Did you ever expect your account to go viral like this? And you've had a lot of viral videos from I love the the three things I'll never do as a nurse to all the videos during the pandemic. And then we're definitely going to dive into how you became a voice in the LGBTQ plus community on TikTok as well. But did you ever expect your TikTok to take off the way that it has? God, no. Um, I created TikTok as a joke. Um, I <laughs> literally only had it so that I could like just browse it during the pandemic and like send my boyfriend at the time, like just weird, obscure. We had really, um, we had a really niche sense of humor and um <laughs> I just started posting things I didn't really take it seriously and then I think the first video I had that really blew up was yeah over the pandemic and I I specifically remember not even wanting to post it because I just felt like oh like people are probably gonna think this is so annoying or like no one really probably cares what I have to say and just kind of gaslighting myself. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, was working nights. I posted it. I woke up after my like night shift slumber and it had kind of taken off <laughs> and then it just <laughs> never stopped. And I think it ended up getting like my first viral video ended up getting like 7 million views. And then I posted a follow-up, which was like a comment reply to a comment on that same video that also blew up. And so it's funny because it all just kind of happened by accident. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just got thrusted into this platform and had to figure out, you know, okay, this, this is what it is now. What do I want my online legacy to consist of? And I think that 
you know, I've been in social media for a long time. I had a pretty successful Tumblr back in middle school and high school. And that kind of launched over into Instagram, but my Instagram had kind of plateaued. And again, TikTok was a total accident. So I really just wanted to stay true to myself. And I think that for me, social media has always been just kind of a public diary. And I think that when I overshare, um, there's this secondary effect of people who might feel the same way, not feeling so isolated. And that's really Mm -hmm. cool because then when they feel less isolated, they communicate that. And then I feel less isolated and everyone is just like, you know, weird parasocial relationships. And I do think there's also a a lot of responsibility in that. I was actually having this conversation with um, a coworker the other night. And so, yeah, there's, there's this balance between me wanting to stay authentic and be myself and not be this like robot online. That's just like professionalism and nursing. Cause that's not me. Like mm-hmm. I, I have, I'm a multifaceted person and I'm not a professional. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, like I, I have friends that do that and they do it really well, but it's just not, it's not my brand. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's not, I, it's not who I am. And so, yeah, I think the whole thing has just been wanting to be authentic and also give purpose to the platform other than, you know, fulfilling my own ego. I feel like there's so many influencers. I call myself a terrible influencer because I am like I'm a I'm a trash influencer. Like I don't I don't have like a brand. I don't do like link my outfits. I don't, like I don't I I don't know. I just I'm like I got this at Target 3 years ago. Like you're not going to find it. You know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like I would like to, but you know, it's been it's like a really weird Thing with like the followers from like ABC and you know conservative middle America they're like oh we love Danielle we're gonna follow her and then they're like oh but you're talking about like you're advocating for like abortion rights and like taking your niece to drag shows and like yeah, mm. like we didn't sign up for this, did y'all? Burn her want- at the stake. <laughs> you know? Yeah. At least Lex with you, I think people know what they're signing up for. So that's good. But yeah. I don't know though, because I thought that, you know, and I, I try to put the flags out there. Um mm-hmm. literally, I have like a pride flag in my bio. Um, my pronouns are she they, and that's listed in my bio, and yet somehow. I had a comment yesterday that was on one of my like um, my shark posts that said something along the lines of, oh, cool photos. I saw the flag in the bio. I just decided to ignore it. And I responded and I just said, "Um, you don't need to ignore it. And in fact, if you feel the need to ignore it, please exit stage left. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lesson I learned. It's funny because like every, I feel like every social media channel has always had like a separate purpose for me. Um, Tumblr was, again, like a public diary. Instagram became my way for me to share my art and my photography, Mm -hmm. which has always been a huge outlet for me. And then TikTok was just like me ranting into my phone and um, (laughs) kind of like a visual Tumblr, if you will. Yeah. I think when I was 
really focused on my photography. I had a lot of photographer friends Mm -hmm. and I got really engrossed, especially in the landscape photography community. And it is, it's gotta be one of the most toxic, horrifically narcissistic circles I've ever been in. Wow. I would make these relationships with people. And I realized that like, one, none of them actually like each other. Like the friendships in that scene were all just transactional Mm -hmm. and people would say horrible things about someone and then go on an international trip to Iceland with them the next week. I guess I just thought that things were different with me and them. And Mm -hmm. I had developed these really close relationships with people. Did I thought, I guess I thought I was the exception that they probably weren't shit talking me. Mm-hmm. And I would constantly kind of push them because a, a lot of the people in the landscape photography scene are white, straight men that had access to their parents' credit cards from a very young age. And that's how and why they had access to travel, to have the best photography equipment. Um, and a lot of those people are were already kind of baseline narcissistic. And then you add this level of like internet fame which is Mm -hmm. the equivalence of being rich in monopoly money you know it's not real and it doesn't mean anything and they think it does and so they walk around like there's some kind of god and they really only exist and do things in order to feed their own ego and their social media is exactly that and so when i would say things you know like during 2020 i was you know sharing them sharing infographics with them and saying, Hey, like, do you mind? I I think it'd be really cool if you shared this out with your massive following that is primarily also white men. Mm -hmm. Um, If you got involved, like you could really instigate a lot of positive change. Yeah. And I guess I did it too much because they decided to throw me out of that community really intensely. It was, it was wild because I had two photographers that I had never even met I had never even met them that posted a very public, very defamatory, honestly, lie about me. Um, And the second they posted that, it was no longer cool to be my friend. And all these people that I had gone on, you know, dozens of trips with uh, had like blocked me. And I realized then that my existence in social media was not the same as those people. Mm -hmm. And there was this girl named Michelle that I was in that friend group that I had, we'd been internet friends for a while and we met for the first time. And literally the second she got me alone for the very first time, she brought up, she, she said, you know, it's not cool that you like try and push people into talking about human rights issues on their platforms. And I looked at her and I was like, do you mean like me sharing things with our group chat and like talking about real life issues? And she said, yeah, you know, like my page is not that way. My page is basically a van life magazine and I don't want to be divisive. And I kind of just looked at her and I was like, who are you afraid of pissing off? Mm -hmm. What corner of your following are you coddling? Because if you're afraid to talk about racism, on your platform, then the people that you're coddling are the racists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if those are the followers you're worried about losing, then yeah, this is not a friendship that's going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. 
it goes yeah. it goes back to what you said about about having a platform and having some sort of responsibility in a way to yeah. addressing mm-hmm. human rights. And I'm curious to know for you, do you feel and and this is something that I've kind of um struggled with in like friend relationships where especially during 2020, I think a lot of these human rights, social justice, like racial issues that have always been there obviously got really heightened and were much more in the in the public eye. Do you think it was your nursing background that having like an awareness of like seeing patients in real life that kind of helped you have this voice or like feel like you needed to say something? Or where do you think that that comes from? Like being part of the LGBT community or I don't know, for me, I I think like it always came back to like the fact that you go to work every day and you, I don't know, I don't want to say that you need a reason to be able to speak up, but I think when you're in a job where you see the realities of racism, of social health equality, discrepancies, right, like, like day to day, you, you see it every day. You're like, how how are you guys not seeing this? Yes, I guess my short answer is yes, but I do think it goes a little deeper than that because then the question is, well, what drove us to that profession in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that everyone in nursing, unfortunately, is on the same uh, bus as we are. And COVID showed that really well too. I think for me, part of it is definitely my family. I grew up in a pretty large mixed uh, blended family. It blended in like every sense, right? Um, My sisters that I love very much are indigenous and Mexican. And my dad's background is Native American and Irish and like Swiss and my uncles (laughs) are literally named Sean and Seamus. and are the quintessential Irish uncles. And just, I guess the bottom line is in order to speak in my family, you pretty much have to be screeching over everyone else. And so that was kind of my baseline introduction into the world. And then, um, it's you know, it's funny because my family and I aren't, um, my parents and I, I should say, aren't exactly close anymore. But my mom, I, there was a very formative conversation my mom and I had when I was a kid. And I remember it so vividly. It was right after um, she had left my dad. I was living with my mom and it was election season and there was a commercial on the TV. Um, and the the commercial was some advertisement for an anti-abortion bill, which like that's never going to pass in Washington state, like get over yourself. But it was my first introduction into the topic. And I think I was in fourth grade and I looked at my mom and asked her, mom, why would anyone ever want to kill their baby? I was just flabbergasted by the entire concept. And my mom sat me down and I'll never forget it. She said, Alexis, you never know what situation you might find yourself in someday and you might not know it now but there's a lot of really dark things that happen to people out in the world and Mm. there are women that have fought and died for you to have every opportunity you could ever potentially dream of and abortion is one of those things and I didn't really know what it meant at the time but I logged it away. You know, it's like one of my core memories. And Mm -hmm. I think that I lean on that a lot because whenever we talk about human rights and the advancement of human rights, there's no privilege in the society outside of the cisgender, straight, wealthy 
emphasis on the wealthy white man. There's no privilege in this society that has been given. They've been forcefully demanded. And I think that that keeps me grounded and it makes me very thankful for the people that have fought for me to be where I am, but also um, puts in perspective just how much I owe the people coming after me. And I think that that moral obligation obviously um, bleeds over into social media, but I think it just drives like a lot of who I am as a person. It's why I am going into the career path that I'm going into. And it is kind of just what I value in myself. And so, yeah, you guys complimenting that actually is probably one of the most valuable compliments you could give me. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since you touched on that already, you're going back to school next year to become an NP to specialize in abortion services, gender affirming care for LGBTQ plus and trans community. Do you want to like share a little bit more about that decision making process and like what exact degree? How are they teaching this now? Like to to be able to advocate more for your patients and like is it like a more targeted degree or go wild with this? Okay, <laughs> like tell me everything. Um, so the, a lot of these things are actually aren't touched on in the FNP degree at all. Um, so I'm okay. going to be getting FNP. I initially like thought maybe I would get a woman's health, um, but the woman's health aspect would kind of be self-limiting in mm-hmm. what my end goal would be. And my end goal is to be a primary care provider as well as a reproductive health care provider. I would like to do both. And so The short answer is no, they don't teach these things, Uh, but also yes. In the state of California, they actually just amended the Nurse Practice Act so that nurse practitioners in the state of California can actually provide surgical um, aspiration abortions up until 13 weeks. Wow. And I do anticipate that Nurse Practice Act actually being expanded further. The need for abortion care in California is expected to increase by 6,500% over the next 10 years. Um, That's based on current uh, legislation that is not accompanying for um, any potential change in legislation going forward. In any potential change going forward would only increase that number. So, California is, I think, one of the best states to live in as someone that wants to get into this kind of care. Because one, I am legally protected. Uh, California has another um, amendment to the Nurse Practice Act, as well as other providers that basically prevents us from being tried criminally by other states for treating patients that travel to us from their state. That's amazing. As well as on on top of all of that, which is already amazing, the state of California will pay to train and license nurse practitioners in abortion care. So they the state actually provides that training. And that's exactly what every state that is um, pro uh, <laughs> choice anti-force birth should be doing. I know, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm like, now that you bring that up, it's so interesting to me that my twin sister is a midwife in Illinois. And I was having this conversation with her. She is, you know, is able to deliver babies, uh, on her own. Um, there are of course, ob in the hospital to refer to if there's complications, but I always wondered why nurse practitioners cannot be providing this service of abortions. Like I don't, what is the holdup with that? Is California the first state to do that? Or are there other states that 
Well, so in most states, and I, I believe it's all states, but I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. In most states, every every nurse practitioner can provide medical abortions, meaning they can prescribe mifepristone and right. mifepristone. Uh, mm-hmm. However, yes, California is the first state that allows nurse practitioners to um, to uh, do surgical aspiration abortions. So you're going back to school to be an FNP in, Calif- in the state of California then, I'm guessing. I don't know where I'm going to school quite yet. I'm probably looking at going to school in the fall. Um, I'm just right now trying to decide if I even want to stay in the country. Mm. Yeah. Um, If I do stay, yes, I'll be going probably back to school either in the fall or next spring. And I don't know what state the school I attend will be in. Um, I will not be leaving the state of California, but I might be doing an online program. I just haven't decided yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I just have to kind of like figure that out. I know for um my best friend, Caitlin is already a nurse practitioner. She um lives in Colorado and her and I have always kind of talked about opening up a clinic together. And with me wanting to do queer primary care, I would have to double check with her, but I know her initial goal was always to get into HIV prevention yeah. and HIV care. And so I, I those things just would be a great dual clinic. Also, my friend Chris Lucia and I have also talked about joining forces. So it'd be really great if the three of us could open up a clinic together somewhere here. I that would be like my dream. Unbelievable. That's incredible. They just opened a um a like a, a queer primary care facility in Nashville too. Love and it. And it yeah, it's on the it's on the east side where we're a little more a little more yeah. blue and accepting than the, the rest of Nashville. But, you know, they're working on it. I don't live there right. anymore. I changed my voter registration. I am now up in Ohio. But <laughs> I want to actually circle back to something that you brought up um, because I got my FNP degree as well. And I'm so glad you brought this up because so many of our listeners have this question about when do I go back to school? Should I go back to school? FNP versus whatever. Um, and I do love the FNP degree because you have so much flexibility in what you want to do. So on one side, absolutely, you could provide abortion services and some of those um, reproductive health things that we've touched on. For our listeners that aren't super familiar with what queer-based community healthcare looks like, can you just give a few examples of what that would look like in a primary care setting and like some of the things that you would do? I think that, and this would be a really good question for someone that's already in the field. Um, I am not yet, but to my understanding, and I am one of the nurses at a queer nonprofit. And so I do already kind of do this in a way, but I'm not the primary care provider. I'm just involved in queer health mm-hmm. through the nonprofit. And um, I think it, it, a lot of it is just your general primary care. Mm-hmm. However, there is, I think, obviously the aspect of gender affirming care Mm -hmm. and the emphasis and understanding and making sure my patients feel and know, not feel, they know matter of factly that they are safe to discuss their options in that realm of possibilities with me. Mm -hmm. Um, That when they come to see me, they know that their identity is not going to be questioned. uh, Their experience is not going to be questioned. And they're in a safe place. Um, as far as the 
the specific clinical medical side uh, with gender affirming care, uh, puberty blockers are an aspect of it. HRT is an aspect mm -hmm. of it. HIV prevention and HIV care is an aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, STI testing, mm -hmm. education, and then alongside all of that, there's a, obviously a very heavy emphasis on mental health because of the overlap of mental illness and queer identities due to ostracization by society. And um, I think right now, uh, the experiences that I've had have really taught me just how needed those specific kinds of care providers are. Even with the couple hundred patients that I know of and that I already work with, which are all queer youth. Um, for listeners, I guess, that don't know me, I am one of the camp nurses at Camp Brave Trails, which is a queer and trans leadership summer camp. It is the light of my life. and That's amazing. Um, yeah, no, everyone that I work with at Brave Trails is top-notch A1 steak sauce human beings. I love them so much, and it, we are such a tight-knit family. And... Um, camp saved my life and changed my life and really affirmed that this this is my patient population and these are my my people and i there's also kind of a dual sided desire to getting my np because if i'm an np i can be the medical director for camp <laughs> i love it i would love to be able to maintain contact with my mm -hmm. campers outside of camp. Um, it is one of the most frustrating things right now. We as staff cannot have any amount of contact with campers outside of camp, um, even as medical staff. And so like, even if they, if they like comment on some of my stuff online, which having a platform that's hard. Um, yeah, I can't have any communication with them. Mm. And I hate that because I'm so worried about them. And I think about them every day. And it is so difficult because we've even gotten emails from parents. We actually, uh, our directors, we had a fundraising event last month and our directors read an email from a parent of a camper in Tennessee. And basically the entire letter, which I wish I had a recording of them, our director reading it, the entire letter just said, you know, Brave Trails saved my child's life. And without Brave Trails, I I would not be able to hug my child at night. And Brave Trails is very much life or death. And it is such a needed uh, respite from the hatred and the just intense hyper fixation that society has specifically on trans children. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so honored. I feel so honored to be in the position that I am with them. And I just want to do more. <laughs> so uh, me getting into queer primary care is <laughs> partially so I can keep my claws on these kids and <laughs> um, be an ally and a, and a resource for them in every way, shape, and form. I like want them to have my personal cell phone numbers. I'm like, if someone says anything rude to you in public, if I am within a 50 mile radius, you need to call me 
I will make them cry. And I don't care if they're a grown adult, they will cry and they will apologize to you. Um, But yeah, it's just, I I think once you find your population and your Mm -hmm. calling, I've never been so thankful that I finished nursing school. Um, And that was a really important point to reach because COVID killed my desire to be a nurse. And I almost left the profession. And I think that, you know, going to camp and meeting these kids and realizing, okay, this is what I need to do. Yeah. It really reignited my love for this profession. And I think that that just goes to say like how lucky we are as nurses and as medical professionals to have so many options Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to find your people because once you do all the bullshit suddenly was worth it. And that feeling is irreplaceable. Wow. You are such a force. Like, (laughs) I am just like, you've reignited like all these fires and stuff in me. And just like, it's just, it's just so nice to speak with you and like hear your passion for yeah, girl, this population too. like it, well, it's, it's also just so important for for the listeners of our community for your mm-hmm. half a million followers on tiktok for the campers mm-hmm. that you get to work with one-on-one everyone is just so lucky to have you as a voice yeah. as an advocate as an ally and we're we are so grateful to have you on the podcast so we can just continue to uplift your voice because Mm -hmm. God, you are young and you have done so much already in your career. Yeah. Um, Before we wrap up this episode, I want to ask you about one more thing because we haven't been able to chat about it. You were at the White House for the State of the Union. I remember saying that and I texted Jack. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Just in case our (laughs) listeners weren't convinced enough that you're the fucking coolest. Can you just explain really quick what happened with this? Like, you're um, just, come on. Yeah, that was, like, the most insane night of my life. Uh, I <laughs> just had this overwhelming feeling that I was going to wake up intubated, and it was all just a ketamine-driven, like, sedation dream. I I was not convinced that it was real in the slightest, even like me shaking Dr. Jill Biden's hand or standing two feet from Joe Biden as he talked to us like intimately about his father, um, like the whole experience was just insane. And it basically um, what happened was there was a nonprofit that um, I had done some work with regarding uh, abortion advocacy and abortion um, access advocacy in the state of Michigan. Uh, and they are, I don't think they're based in Washington, D.C., but they have connections with the White House because they are like a social rights advocacy group. And the White House reached out for the State of the Union and basically asked who they would recommend to invite as a guest. And they picked me and it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> like, really? Like, um, because I mean, yeah, I guess I like I do post like advocacy, of course, but I, I, I don't feel like that's really all that special. And then on the, on the flip side, I'm like, I also shit post a lot. Um, and <laughs> like, 
I know that there is a White House staffer digging through my tweets from like 2008. And I am absolutely shocked that they approved me to go because (laughs) I've been on the internet for a very long time. And I know for a fact, I've tweeted something that could put me on a list, but I, you know what? They they approved me. (laughs) And so I, yeah, they texted me and they said, Hey, what are you doing next Tuesday? Can you be in Washington DC? And I said, well, um, I think so. Why? And they offered me the invitation. I said, are you fucking serious? And then I said, yes. Um, And they submitted me, they approved me. And then I had to submit like seven years of address history and all this stuff to be, you know, the background check. Yeah. Yeah. Go into the White House. And then there was, um, that it was funny because like, while all this was going on, I like announced that I got invited and there was a, uh, another content creator that had been harassing me for a few months that made this whole like TikTok account called Nurse Lex Exposed. And this is another healthcare worker um, creator that made this account called Nurse Lex Exposed trying to call me a liar saying I didn't actually get invited to the White House. (laughs) Like, yes. And Jackie, you know who it is, but it's okay. Um, if you don't, I must know as soon as I hit the start recording button. Right after yeah. This yes. Um, but it was out. so funny because, like, she was like accusing me of lying about the whole thing, and then I'm like, okay. And then I like posted a video of me like shaking the first lady's hand. I'm like, is this good enough for you? Like. <laughs> The whole experience was an absolute fever dream. I was in the same room as your rich BFF and Erica, the money lawyer and Dr. Jennifer Lincoln um, and all of the uh, under the desk news, um, all of these creators that I I was just like fangirling and like so starstruck. And then like some of them knew me and I'm like, you know, you've seen my shit. I'm like, you've seen me post. And um. Thankfully, I think that most of them had just seen the advocacy safe. Um, but yeah, it was it was crazy. And I think that it, a big highlight for me was the fact that a sitting president in his State of the Union said the words trans youth. And then mm-hmm. not only said the word trans youth, advocated for trans youth. And there are a lot of things I could say about the Biden presidency, but that is such an impactful and beautiful thing to watch happen after all of the work we have done. And after I've been called every name in the book, I've been called a groomer. I've been called a pedophile. I'm like, bitch, the youngest man I've dated is 25. Please relax. <laughs> um, I've been called all of these horrific things just because I think trans youth deserve to survive past 15. Mm-hmm. To have to have a sitting president acknowledge that after all of the work that we as a community and we as allies have done um, and all of the, the people that we have lost too soon is hugely impactful. And I do wish that more um, that more progress would have been made by that point. I, I do recognize the limitations that the Democratic Party has had. Um, but it just feels like the Republicans aren't playing fair. So why are we, Mm. you know, Mm. they've got voter suppression laws, gerrymandering, they've got fear mongering, they've got Fox news, literally publicly lying to Mm -hmm. their voters. 
and brainwashing people and Democrats expect to win by playing fair. And it's like, no, we we have to step things up when when Nazis are literally running for office, Mm -hmm. we have to be even louder than the people supporting them saying no. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that the whole um, concept of when they go low, we go high. I don't think it's gotten us very far. Sorry, Michelle. I love Michelle Obama, but I, I love just, her. I think when they go low, we need to put an end to things. You know, not that we need to go low, but there there has to be a level of like no tolerance. Like there just should be yeah. no, like no tolerance at a certain yes, point. Yes, there there has to be a, a, a an agreement that we are not going. What what's the the phrase? We're not going to negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, yeah no, honestly, you know? <laughs> no, t- totally, hundred percent. It's yeah. So I think that um, just as someone that loves my trans brothers and sisters, um, and themsters very much. Uh, and someone who wants to see the uh, average life expectancy for a trans person to be maybe longer than 40 years old, which is literally mm-hmm. where it's at today. Um, those those changes need to be made and they need to be made immediately. Like we we can't wait. And it was interesting because even like yesterday I was scrolling TikTok. There was a Holocaust survivor acknowledging that there is a genocide happening against trans people and for him to say in his video i am a holocaust survivor and this what's happening to trans people is a genocide just goes to show how bad things already are and how how much we need to do to stop things from getting worse and um yeah you know it's again i'm just i'm never gonna shut the fuck up so until they ban my account um (laughs) until they ban tiktok altogether i will be screaming uh from my tiny corner of the internet and hopefully (laughs) i get enough people screaming with me that people hear (laughs) well we're screaming with you yay (laughs) and we are so grateful to have you we are so grateful to hear everything that you have to say and i just you know i think that you ended this like it circles back so well to the beginning of the episode when we were talking about professionalism the -hmm. fact that you are going on tiktok saying exactly what needs to be said and the white house invited you to the state of the union it's just, I hope because that it, it sees shows, so much value in you. Right. It, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They see the value in you. And I hope that it shatters that perception of professionalism that nursing and healthcare has in general about what we can and cannot say, how we should and should not act. And mm-hmm. you're just really fucking trailblazing the way for a lot of nurses following in your footsteps. So, Lex, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And fuck professionalism. It is an agent of white supremacy and it needs to stop. <laughs> so. <laughs> Mic drop. We've had so many mic drop moments. I, love I know. It. Literally, I do all the social like for the and I'm like, I don't know. What am I going to do? There are so many clips of this episode. Like, Wait, will you just send me all of them and I'll just I will send you all mind. of them. And you're yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I mean, wow. I I just, just wow. I want to be Lex's best friend. I want to hang out with her. I definitely want to work at this camp with her because that's incredible. I want to know if this camp is like nationwide because 
What a phenomenal place. What a phenomenal force for healthcare and abortion rights. And uh, we, we just, we need more providers like her. I'm so, I'm so excited for her career. If you want to follow along Lex's journey, be sure to follow along with her on Instagram at WanderLex. That's W-A-N-D-E-R-R-L-E-X. And you must go run to TikTok and catch on to all of their viral TikToks at Traveling Nurse. Again, that's Wanderlex on IG, Traveling Nurse on TikTok. We hope you guys loved this episode as much as we did. Remember, every share, rate, review, like, comment, all the things helps us keep doing what we're doing at the WOMED, which is bring on valuable guests and different perspectives in medicine. On that note, y'all, we love you so much. We'll catch you next week. WOMED out. Out.